Harris Bank Arena? Okay. Yeah, downtown Cincy and had a great time. Sent some pictures. A big group, a lot of fun. And uh, boy, what a blessing it is to see a group of young people this morning uh, leading us in worship. Isn't that powerful? And I praise God for it. I want us to do something a little different this morning as we step into the Word of God. Uh, We're going to continue to preach that there is power in the name of Jesus. And make sure we understand something as a church. If we're really going to see a mighty move of God in our life, it's going to be God orchestrated. He's the one who's going to do it. And we're reminded of that in this great chapter in John chapter 15. If your Bible is red letter, uh, this is uh, teaching and lessons that Jesus is giving to his followers. And John chapter 15 is a very good reminder, okay? Now, before we read it, if you're here and you're a Christian, I want you to think back to the time you gave your life to Christ. Can you remember that? You say, Brother Greg, I can't remember the day. Can you remember the time? Can you remember the time? Because I'm telling you, if Jesus Christ has changed your life, it's something you'll never forget. Something you'll never forget. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let's pray. Lord, over the next few moments, we recognize this is time we'll never get back. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and that we would hear. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together and have the living word, your word. And as uh, Lena prayed the other night, uh, a word where you, the author, lives inside of us. So you know what we need. Have your way. I pray for all those that are watching and ask that you'll help us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's continue to read verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that you may that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you, and no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, 
I have made known to you. Listen carefully, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever, here it is, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin. Do you really believe this morning that there is power in prayer? Do you believe that? I, I think we'd say, amen, as a church, Brother Greg, we believe that as a church, amen? Do, do you believe it in your own life? Here's the second question. If we believe it, if you believe it, are you willing to pay the price to see God move supernaturally in your own life? Are you willing to pay the price to see God move supernaturally in your marriage? Are you willing to pay the price to see God move supernaturally in your family? Are we willing to pay the price to see God move supernaturally in this church, in our community, and in our nation? And I think we would say, yeah, amen, preacher. You know we would. You know we would. Well, I'm reminded of a story that recently I read from a preacher, Bob Russell, retired pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And he shares a story about reading an article about a small Kentucky town that had two churches and a distillery. And members of both churches complained that the distillery gave the town a bad image, bad name. And to make matters worse, the owner of the distillery was an atheist. So the churches and pastors got together and said, we're going to have a Saturday night prayer meeting and we're going to intervene and ask God to do something that we can't once and for all. So they got together, came together for that Saturday night prayer meeting, and lo and behold, during the prayer meeting, a horrible storm began to take place outside, lightning flashing everywhere. When the service was over, to the delight of the members, they received news that the distillery had been hit and had burned to the ground. The next morning in church, both pastors preached messages on the power of prayer. Well, the insurance adjusters were promptly notified, and they promptly notified the distillery that they would not cover the claim. It was an act of God, and it was an exclusion in their policy. The distillery atheist owner was furious. Furious. So he decided to sue both churches. The churches denied having anything to do with the fire that took place at the distillery. So they went to court and appeared before the judge. And the judge opened with these words I find one thing very perplexing in this case. We have a situation here where the plaintiff. An avowed atheist is professing his belief in the power of God. And the defendants, all faithful church members, 
are denying the very same power. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We pray and we ask God to do something, and then when he does it, we wonder how it happened. When we should be praising the Lord and thanking him for everything that comes. Now, we brought these two boys up here in their jerseys to have a little fun, but I have a sneaking suspicion today that when the Bengals and the Bills game is televised, I have a sneaking suspicion, if it's physically possible, I believe that number three will be at the game somehow. And folks, I'm telling you, what we witness there is a miracle of the mighty hand of God. And Christians should be praising the Lord and thanking the Lord for everything he did. But it seems like we live in a day when a Christian has an opportunity to brag on Jesus that sometimes we're timid. Let me tell you who is not timid. Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy is an analyst now for NBC Sports, was a great player, a Hall of Famer, coach, and Tony Dungy spoke at the Right to Life uh, March, uh, was it Friday or Saturday, uh, in Washington, D.C., and, and was raked over the coals. NBC had folks like Keith Olbermann coming out saying, he needs to be fired because of his bigotry toward other people. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ came for everybody. And what Tony Dungy was saying is, every life is valuable. Every life is valuable. And I praise the Lord for that because God's looking for some folks, listen, that aren't denying his power, but folks like you and me that are willing to say, praise the Lord for what he has done. And that's good news this morning. That's good news. Well, let me address a little bit of John 15. Because in this passage, there are some differing views when it comes to uh, uh, fruit and a fruitless Christian. Uh, I'll, I'll deal with two views. The first one is this, that both branches indicate believers. It's supported uh, by words like this, uh, verse 2, every branch in me. So that would indicate uh, that possibly he's talking about believers already there. Every branch in me. You don't see that in other places in Scripture. Uh, look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Takes away. The picture here is of a vine dresser. Uh, one translation is lifting up. Okay? A vine dresser who takes action to encourage growth in a fruitless branch. Uh, my dad has a green thumb. I mean, he really does have a green thumb. Can make anything grow. Uh, Renee, not so much. Uh, if you give us a live flower, uh, get a warning with it, okay? Get a warning with it. But, but dad just has a, a way of making things grow and making them flourish. And he taught me as a, as a young husband, as a young dad, uh, the importance of cutting back and, and deadwooding and things like that. You know, I love living in the country. Sometimes God takes care of the deadwood, doesn't he, by a good strong wind. It's almost as if God does it for us, removes the things that are dead. And what was happening here was the, the vine dresser was lifting up and he was doing some work in order for better production. The fall was the time that the dead wood would be removed 
The spring was the time where the vine dresser would lift it up and encourage growth. Let me tell you something. There's not a Christian here this morning that God doesn't want to see us grow somehow. Amen? Now, I, I must admit, I was a little surprised by the snow. I knew it was supposed to snow. But like Bob and I were talking, I woke up early, looked outside. It hadn't done anything. I told her, neighbor, we're in good shape. Woke up an hour later and said, have you looked outside? Every day it doesn't snow is a day closer to spring, and today's closer to spring than yesterday was. And we expect growth. We expect things to get to the point where we see green and things begin to flourish. But it's not always the case. And it's not always the case in our lives as Christians. What God wants us to do is flourish. He wants us to grow in our faith. So that's the first translation of this passage. The second view, uh, when you think about the two kind of branches, one fruitless and one is a fruit producer, one writer said the fruitless branch could be like, listen, like Judas. What do you mean? He's associated with Christ, but he doesn't abide in him. He's associated with Jesus, but you sure don't see any uh, elements of things that would beckon for me to believe that his life was forever changed. And I know you asked the question, well, Brother Greg, uh, do you think Judas was a surprise to Jesus? Not at all. Not at all. I believe Judas is a reminder for us that not everybody that hangs around Christ is a Christian. Just because we're in church, you all know that. Just because we're in church doesn't make us a Christian. Christians should want to be together, amen? We should want to worship the Lord. We should want to open our Bibles. We should want to sing these songs of praise. We should want to pray and talk to the Lord. We should want to be together. But what about one who claims to be a Christian where you never see any fruit? There's never any fruit from that life that's been supposedly changed by Christ. Folks, then we need to really look at the question, has Jesus chosen you? Has your life been changed? Are you saved? Uh, they told me in the first service that recess goes to about sixth grade. And then after that, it stops. I used to love recess. Uh, and most of the time, because you all know, we, some kind of ball would be played at recess. And you remember, you had to make quick time of it and choose quick because you didn't have much time. You're on the clock. Do you remember lining them up for kickball? And, you, and you'd have two, co two, two, two coaches, and Dan, you'd say, okay, Dan, you get first pick. I'll take second pick, but I get two. And Danny would probably take the... the, the the star of the school, number one. And then and then uh, second pick would pick, and boom, 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 and you pick your teams, and there's one little boy or one little girl left. Maybe, maybe you were like me, and maybe that was you. And then do you remember what someone, okay, Amanda's saying that was me. Okay, I'll, I'll just go with it. Amanda? Okay, we'll take Amanda. Remember, do you remember how, what it was like to be chosen to a team? They want me. Or maybe in Amanda's case, no, we don't want you. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But we get you, and you're on the team. Folks, let me tell you something. I don't understand it all, and I'm not going to stand here this morning and pretend that I do. I believe in the sovereignty of God. He controls every single thing that takes place. He knows who's going to be saved. But I also believe in the responsibility of man. I believe I'm a whosoever will preacher. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And how I can't understand that and fit that into my finite mind, there is a God who loves us enough to give us a way to him so that we can be saved. I love that. I love that about God. I love Dottie Rambo's old song. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. All of our needs were sinners separated from God. Um, and when we talk about being chosen and being appointed, it's not Brother Greg's job to preach anybody into heaven or judge any of you as being lost. It's the Holy Spirit of God that draws and convicts and speaks. And you say, Brother Greg, how do you know when God's speaking? Because I know what it's like when he's not. When he's not. Recently, someone asked me, I'm not sure if my loved one is a Christian. I want you to know that before you preach your funeral. I want to remind you, it's not Brother Greg's job to preach anybody into heaven or judgment on anybody who may not know Christ. What do you do? What do you do? Let me tell you what I do. I preach to you. Here's how you can be forgiven. Here's how you can know for sure that if you were to die, heaven would be your home. Here's how you can have hope beyond this world and simply share the gospel. Let me tell you what Jesus was dealing with. He was dealing with Christians who produce fruit. He was dealing with Christians who bore no fruit. And he was dealing with lost folks professing to be Christians. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, a change takes place. A change takes place. When I was a little boy at North Dayton Baptist Church, we had what was called Miracle Day. At one time in the 70s, North Dayton was one of the fastest growing churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. Miracle Day came, and the goal was over 1,000 in worship that Sunday. They were bussing in from all over. It had five or six buses, bussing in from all over. Um, it, really, it really was chaos at times, but the Miracle Day came, and, and after the service, the preacher said, we'd like everybody to go out front. We're going to take a picture of everyone in attendance. So they had a photographer that was way high, and everybody was in front of the church, and, and uh, I, looked, I saw this picture this week, and and was just reminded that God is still in the miracle working business. If the Lord tarries, Easter is going to be miracle day for First Camden. We're going to ask God to do something we, we can't. And you see what's happening in John chapter 15 is Jesus is setting us up. If you're going to be in the vine... You have to recognize that that's the source of power. And when you look at the very end of those 17 verses, look at verse 16, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Now, in that second view, one bears fruit, is pruned, abides in the vine, and bears more fruit. And that's a picture of God wanting you to grow in your faith, being discipled, and trusting him in this thing called life. Listen to me carefully this morning. 
The understanding of the second view is if there is no fruit, they weren't chosen. So this morning, what does it mean to abide in the vine? If you have your hand out, I want to give you three quick things. The first is this. Abiding in the vine means that we're going to walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. Now, you say, Brother Greg, I thought you said doing. We're not saved by works. That's true. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We know what the Bible says about works. But we fail to understand sometimes that when we're saved by grace through faith, we're called to work. That's the Ephesians 2.10. Okay? And the picture here is, abide in the vine. Those words work together there. We're walking in obedience. Now, I want to encourage everybody who's listening this morning as you sit here, the next opportunity you have to obey God or make a decision that you know is willful sin, I want to encourage you to trust God, recognize I'm a Christian, I abide in the vine, I want to please the master, and make a decision to be obedient rather than disobedient. You say, oh, Brother Greg, who's been telling you about my life? Nobody. I'm telling you about my life. I know how it is. The devil's a liar. He'll make sin look good for a minute and not show you the aftermath of what you have just done. You remember the story I told you uh, years ago of the businessman who was traveling? No one knew where he was staying. His wife couldn't follow his phone back then. She didn't know where he was. Met some girl downstairs in the restaurant. Before long, they started talking about emotional things that led back to his room. No one will ever know. She'll never find out what has happened. And in that adulterous affair that night, he woke up the next morning to find out that she was gone, went into the bathroom with shame and looked in the mirror and said, it said in lipstick, welcome to the world of AIDS. Folks, I'm telling you, listen to me, the devil makes sin look good for a minute, but he'll never show you the results and the consequences of disobeying God. Now, you watch these ball games as they lead up to the Super Bowl. You know, folks pay millions of dollars for 30-second slots just to get their message out there. And most of the commercials will have something to do with attractive people or physically fit people. Uh, they won't go to the hospital room in the ER to show you the damage that a drunk driver can cause. You see, the devil makes sin look good just for a minute. What does it mean to remain in the, and abide in the vine? It means that we're going to walk in obedience. Secondly, according to Jesus in 15, it's we're going to love others as Jesus loves us. We're going to love others as Jesus loves us. And even in this 17 verses, he says that we are friends of Jesus. You know, we sing that song, I'm a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And when we love others as Jesus loves us, Folks recognize that something is different. You know, a lot of times people look at Christianity and think they're different is you're weird. Well, I admit we have some weird people in our church. I admit from time to time I'm, I act weird. But I'm telling you, Jesus, the Bible says, is it First Peter? We are a peculiar people. A peculiar people. You know, what, you know what that means? We've been changed by the power of God. Look at verse 16. 
You did not choose me, Jesus said. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You know what I see in this second thing this morning when we look at what God is doing in the life of a believer and the power that we can have in prayer is that God places great value on your life, on my life. That's number two. And in this passage, we see he has a purpose. He chooses us. He's got a purpose for us. We recognize from these 17 verses that there's power in his name. Be reminded, the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Um, Renee was playing yesterday at the house, the Gaithers, he touched me. Many of you know that song. Oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me. He touched me. And then we give an invitation, and we sing songs like, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Do not pass me by. The Bible says, he chose me. And in his choosing, my life has purpose. Your life has purpose, and that is to bear fruit for the glory of God. Let people see Jesus in your life. Now, according to the prayer in verse 16, he says that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You see, when you think about the value of life, you recognize that there's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, the demons flee. Uh, the Bible says the devils tremble. Yeah, you may be here today and say, well, Brother Greg, I believe. Well, James 2.19 says the devils believe and tremble. Folks, the good news is, is when Christ changes your life and you surrender to the power of God, you recognize God's plan. That's the third thing. You see purpose, power, and God's plan. God's plan is for you to know him and to abide in him and remain in him. And at the first sign of difficulty in life, you don't run away from God. You don't quit on God. He never quit on us. Amen? And because of that, we have his provision. His provision. It's his power in us, living for his glory. And that is the glory that belongs to him. And I praise the Lord for it. I praise the Lord for it. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28... The Great Commission, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 16, 15 is also a picture of the Great Commission. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. Every creature. On Wednesday nights, we're traveling through the book of Colossians. Paul writing this letter from prison, we recognize that uh, Paul has seen a life change in the people of Colossae. Epaphras has been probably the church planner of the church, and Paul is hearing news of what God has done. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, uh, which has come to you as it has also come into the world. 
what is the gospel? And is bringing forth fruit. It's bringing forth fruit. Paul says the world is seeing the change that Jesus is making. Now, brothers and sisters, when you think about remaining in Christ, when you think about abiding in the vine, when you think about God has such value for my life that he came and died on the cross for my sin, the good news is that we recognize that there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. So I want to look at a few things that John and James write when it comes to the name of Jesus. They outline it for us fairly simply. Now, we're in chapter 15. Look back at chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus writes these words, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, when we look at John 14, there might be a common thought to say, Man, alive, this God we're talking about, this Jesus we're talking about, it's almost as if I can name it and claim it. Whatever I want, God is bound to provide. That's not the Bible that we're reading. It all hinges on the will of God. And it's the will of God for your life. I told you before that Renee does not like to eat in places where she's pressured like uh, MCL Cafeteria or Chipotle or Hothead, where you're in line and you got to pick it as you move. You know what I'm talking about? You can't pick it as you move. She don't like that. She'll say, stop. You know, I need some time. When we eat at a restaurant, she's always the fourth one at the table to decide what she wants. Okay, and that's all good. I mean, it's a blessing in my life. But let me tell you something. Christianity isn't you checking the boxes of what you want, and if God somehow doesn't answer what you want, he has somehow let you down. Brothers and sisters, we ought to thank God he doesn't answer every prayer we pray. And we ought to thank God he doesn't answer it in the time frame that I want it. Because sometimes, as John Maxwell says, it's in the delay that God really speaks to us. It's in the waiting room of life sometimes where God has our attention and we're ready to hear from him. So what does James and John outline for us? Are you ready? Here's the first. When we pray, ask in Jesus' name. Now, I would say most people who pray publicly here in our church, most of the time close their prayer with something like that. When you pray, most of the time you most likely Close your prayer like that. The Bible says, whatever, in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. There's power in the name of Jesus, but make sure we understand. Answered prayer is not based on us deserving anything. It's based on what God wants to do, what God wills to do for our life. Now, uh, this promise to do greater works 
was now linked with something. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go, but the Holy Spirit's coming, and this power is now linked to prayer and your dependence on me. Are you depending on God this morning? Are you trusting God? Uh, did anybody lose their power in the, in the storm the other day? Okay. I think, I think Camden did, if I'm not mistaken. Downtown, right here. Okay. Boy, isn't it, isn't it interesting when we lose our power? We, we like kick in the mode of what we need to do. Uh, and, and the things that we've taken so long for, for granted. Um, my mom and dad lost their power, and, and, and mom said, and, and if this is the worst thing that happens, praise the Lord, we had to search for batteries for that flashlight. If that's the worst thing that we've got going, we're in good shape, Amen. But I'm telling you, some of us spiritually are looking for batteries. We're wondering why there's not light. Listen, maybe you're a Christian and you're wondering why there's not been any fruit. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian by name only. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that because I was the kid. I was the boy in church. I, I thought I loved Jesus, but man, I wrestled all the time with my own salvation. Am I really saved? Doubt. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? The preacher would preach, give an invitation. I would sit in a pew, and I would, I would just be white-knuckled until one day I, I decided before the church service, that, that Tuesday night revival, when he gives the invitation, I'm going. I'm going. I praise the Lord that there's power in the name of Jesus. But also, James and John outlined something else. If you're going to see power, there's got to be obedience. Walk in obedience. Now, back in chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, it should be done. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. There's a progression in John chapter 15 of fruit, bearing fruit, more fruit. We never arrive. There's room to grow, and I praise the Lord for it. But there's something else that goes hand in hand with obedience. He says, ask in faith. James chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Live a life, walk in obedience, ask in faith. There's another as well. Have the right motive. And you know what the motive should be? The will of God. Lord, if this is the will, if, if this is your will for my life, show me. God, if this is your will for our church, help me. God, if this is your will for our family, lead me. The will of God is what we should be after. And the good news today is, is when we ask according to his will, God's, God will make it happen. He'll make his will happen to a heart that is surrendered and obedient. Now, I've, never, I've not always been obedient, have you? Hey, this is a good opportunity to get right with the Lord. Have you always been obedient? Most of us probably say there have been times when I've let God down. 
But has there ever been a time when God has let you down? He's always been faithful, amen? He's always been faithful. Some of us treat God like a genie who stands there with his arms folded and he's supposed to grant everything we request. We dictate to him what we want, what we want to happen, when we want it to happen, and how it should take place. God doesn't operate that way. He, he wants us, listen, he doesn't want us to bend our arms and fold our arms. He wants us to bend our knees and trust him and say, God, help me be in the right spot for your glory. Help me to live a life that will please you. Help me to live a life according to your will. Psalm 2511 says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Have you ever heard someone pray and use this kind of terminology? For Jesus' sake. You ever heard that? For Jesus' sake, for your sake, Lord, I pray. You know what that prayer is meaning? For your sake, Lord Jesus, as a believer, I understand and recognize that you're the one, you're the mediator to the Father. The Moody Commentary says, meaning that when we pray, we have access to the Father, we should pray, listen, as if Jesus is asking. He's making intercession. When the Father looks down, listen to you and me as a believer, he sees Jesus. I'm glad I've got somebody like that to plead my case. I'm glad I have somebody like that who knows everything about me. I'm glad I have somebody like that who understands my greatest need. I thank God for that. And you see, when you pray the will of God, he'll help you with your purpose. He'll help you with your purpose. John Stott was the former chaplain of the Queen of England. He said, imagine the burden we would carry if every prayer uttered was answered by God immediately. We would all be in trouble. It has to be God's timing, God's way. Everything that happens is filtered through his love. And when we fail to seek God, we fail to call on his name, we're immediately limiting anything that can happen by trusting in our own weaknesses and trusting in our own resources. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. James 4, 3, and we're done. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You ask and do not receive, James says, because you're not asking for the right thing. You're missing the will of God. You're missing the will of God. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Remember what I asked you earlier? Think back to when you were saved. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother Greg, I, I just don't know when I was. Well, when we stand and sing, I'm gonna ask you,